1905, O. Henry wrote a short story that has become one beloved by many people across the land. The title of the story was The Gift of the Magi. At the heart of the story is about a young husband and a young wife and how they dealt with the challenge of buying secret Christmas gifts for each other when they had very little money to be able to be used. $1.87 is all that the wife had in order to show her love to her husband to get him a Christmas gift. And Jim, the husband, had even less money. But they both had something that was uh, wonderful to them, prized very much by them. Darla had this beautiful, blonde, curly, flowing hair that everybody admired. And Jim had this gold pocket watch that was given to his father by his grandfather and in turn given to him. Della, who loved her husband very much, desired to buy him a gold chain with the fob on it. But it would cost over $20. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you add in the inflation, that would be about $700 in today's money. <laughs> How on earth is she going to come up with that with only $1.87? But as she walked past the storefront, she saw the sign that says, we buy hair. And so she went in and negotiated, and they cut off all of her beautiful blonde hair for $20, and they would make it into a wig. And she took that $20, and she walked into the jeweler shop, and she bought that gold chain with the fob on it. And that night, as Jim came through the door, he was taken back as he saw his wife, and now with such little hair left. And she assured him, it's okay, it's okay, Jim, for you can't imagine what I've done with that. And she brought to him her gift of the chain and fob. But Jim, who dearly loved his wife, knowing that she had several times looked in the jeweler shop, seeing these combs that would go into her hair with magnificent jewels, just to add to that great beauty, had taken his pocket watch and sold it for his $20 so that he could give her that magnificent sacrificial gift. Oh, Henry understood that great love offers great sacrifice. And before we get to that concept in this wonderful passage in uh, 2 Samuel 24 of David's life, we have to start with a very hard truth. And the hard truth is simply this, in the verse 14 verses, we see that sin must be dealt with by a holy God. Basically, there are two sins involved here. The first is the sin of the people, as he says in verse 1 of chapter 24. Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. 
We're not sure exactly what the sin was, but within the covenant community, sin had taken place, not for the first time, but as the scriptures say, again, Israel has sinned against God. And though we don't know what that sin is, we know that it's within that context that the second sin takes place, which is the sin of David the king. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. Now, when you use Scripture to interpret Scripture, the same passage is recorded by uh, the chronicler in chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles. And there it says, And then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number them. So that the anger of the Lord is against the people, and Satan is unleashed. He is allowed to entice David, just as he was allowed to entice Job. And David succumbs to the temptation. And his sin is simply to go and number the troops in Israel. Verse 20, verse 2. And the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people that I may know the number of the people. Now later you'll realize he's numbering the troops. He wants to know how large is his army, how strong is his army, how much confidence can David put in his army. And Joab understands that that's not what God would have him to do. And so verse 3, Joab says to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as there are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? David's sin is clear. It is the sin of pride. It is the sin of self-sufficiency. He should understand, having written in the Psalms, some trust in chariots, and some trust in horses, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord, our God. But not this time. This time, David will put his trust in the number of soldiers that he has. And in doing so, he will sin against the Lord his God. He will reject the advice of his general. He will have no accountability whatsoever in his life. He will decide. And he sends them forth to register the soldiers. In verse 9, we have the finishing. As he comes back with the report, 800,000 in Israel... 500,000 in Judah, you have a very large army, David. But the sin was done. The sin was completed. David had trusted his army and not the living God. But being a man after all God's own heart, in verse 10, and David's heart troubled him. After he had numbered the people, and David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. 
But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. David repents. And with repentance comes forgiveness. Are you so glad of that? I know I am. But forgiveness does not always mitigate against consequences. And though he has been forgiven his sin, the consequences of his sin will now continue. And the prophet comes to him and says, God has said you get to choose one of the three consequences, either three years, three months, or three days. Obviously, with each of the shorter period of times comes the greater increase of consequence. And David is wise enough to understand the character of the living God, and he says, I don't want to put my trust in man, but I will trust the God of great mercy. I'll take the three days. Sin must be dealt with by God, for He is just. And unfortunately, in this case, the dealings leads to the agony of judgment. Verse 15, so the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel in the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 people of the men of the people from Dan and Beersheba died. Seventy thousand. Sudden death. It wasn't that long ago, was it? Do you remember what it was like to have pestilence, to have plague, to have pandemic of COVID-19? The fear of the unknown. The dealing with sudden and sometimes difficult struggling death, the decisions as to how are we going to handle this. It was a terrifying time for some and a struggle for all of us. The hard truth is sin must be dealt with by God. And that leads to the agony of God's judgment. But it also gives opportunity for the wonder of God's mercy. In the midst of this judgment, as the death angel in the realm of the Spirit has been going from Dan to Beersheba, now finally comes to Jerusalem, to the city of David, to the place where the living God Himself is worshipped. And as he comes to that place, David responds by being given insight into the realm of the Spirit. He is able to see what is going on. And he says in verse 16, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it's enough. 
Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of, and um, I've always had struggle with speaking Hebrew, so I'm just going to go with his other name, which is found in 1 Chronicles 21. Ornan, the Jebusite. In the midst of judgment, God mitigates it, and it says the Lord relented. The Lord changed. The Lord changed his mind. And there's this wonderful balance of truth. You are aware God never changes, right? He says so, and he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when the death angel came to Jerusalem, God changed his mind. He relented. He extended mercy. Because he never changes, he always changes when his mercy is sought. He is a God of mercy, but he responds to prayer, as we see in 17. And David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people and said, Behold, it is I who have sinned, and it is I who have done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So David responds as he is seeing into the realm of the Spirit. He continues to repent and he shepherds the people. He says, these sheep don't deserve it. And in that shepherding heart, God relents and extends his mercy. The hard truth is that sin must be dealt with by a holy God. And that will lead to the agony of God's judgment. But it also creates the opportunity for His great mercy. And God's mercy should lead to costly sacrifice. Verse 18, so Gad came to David that day and said to him, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of the Jebusite. And David went up according to the word of the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded. And Ornan looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him. And the, he went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. And Ornan said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. The word of the Lord came to him and said, David, I need you to go to this spot. I need you to build an altar there. And I need you to worship me in sacrifice. And he obeys the word of the Lord. He isn't just a hearer of the word, but he is a doer of the word. He goes to that spot, to the threshing floor of this Jebusite, outside the city walls of Jerusalem. He explains to him that he needs to offer the sacrifice there, and he needs to buy the land from him. 
Now, this Jebusite's very interesting because in First Chronicles, it shares with us in verse 20 of chapter 21 that that Jebusite had the exact same spiritual experience that David had, for David saw the death angel in the realm of the spirit, and so did this Jebusite. And when he saw the death angel coming to Jerusalem, he and his four sons went and hid. I don't blame them. If God ever gave me insight into the death angel coming, I'd try and hide too. Right? And this Jebusite is very anxious that David offer the sacrifice. So he willingly says to him, hey, no problem. Land is yours. Here's the oxen for the sacrifice. There's the yoke and all for the wood. You go right ahead and offer that sacrifice. Let's take care of the death angel. And David says, I will not offer burnt offering that does not cost me. The mercy of God should lead to costly sacrifice. And so he gives them the 50 shekels of silver for the oxen and for that plot of land. He'll give them 600, um, I think it's in gold, for the whole piece of property. But he takes and he builds the stones. He puts the wood on it. He lays his hand upon that oxen, the first one, and he says, I am totally consecrating myself entirely to the living God. He slits the animal, cuts it appropriately. He puts the entirety of that ox upon that altar to burn entirely to the Lord. Summertime. Summertime is grilling time. Grilling time ain't grilling time if it's not steak sometimes. <laughs> and there is nothing in this world to a connoisseur that smells better than steak on a grill. <laughs> and the living God accepts David's sacrifice. We know that because in Chronicles, he sends the fire to whoop, the animal. And David experiencing the mercy of God, having paid that costly sacrifice, now offers the second sacrifice. He offers the peace offering. Oh, what a wonderful offering, right? David will again acknowledge his sin. He'll sacrifice the animal. He'll take the parts that belong to God and place it on the altar. He'll take the parts that belong to the priest and give it to the priest and his family. And he'll take the parts that belong to him into his own palace. And he will sit with his family and he will have a meal with the God who keeps covenant with Yahweh himself. And he will be able to say, I am at peace with God. Everything is as it should be, shalom with God. And I have the peace of God. 
Now, God, in the wonderful workings of His providence, accomplishes so many things on that threshing floor that once belonged to a Jebusite. In First Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, we learn that it's Mount Moriah. And we learn that as David put that altar there, that Solomon will build the temple to worship the living God right on that site of Mount Moriah. And, of course, Mount Moriah, you remember from Genesis 22, that's where Abraham was to take his son laughter, you know, the joy of his old life, the promise of God. And he was to take that which was the joy of his life and to take laughter, to take Isaac, and to offer him as sacrifice to the living God. And, and Abraham, you find in Hebrews, the only way he could possibly figure this out is that he's the God of resurrection. He'll raise my boy up again because he is the promised one. But anyway, he makes the altar, puts the wood, binds Isaac, put him on, having said earlier, when Isaac said, got the wood, got the fire, where's the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself the offering. And as he raises the knife, God stays the hand and he hears the ram and he offers it in the place of his son. It was the land of the Jebusite. It was outside the walls of Jerusalem. And in God's providential workings, it would be outside the walls of Jerusalem when the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus the Christ, would be placed upon the cross and there hanged between heaven and earth, he would be cursed for us. He would take our sins upon himself. He would endure the wrath of the Father for our sins and make it possible for that which we deserved to be taken from us and placed upon his Son. In 2 Samuel 24, it is God's dealing with the nation, with His nation, with the covenant people, but the, the principles that come from that, the truth that comes from this passage can be applied to individuals as well. It can be applied to you. It can be applied to me. Sin, your sin and my sin, must be dealt with by the Holy God. And it will be dealt with in the agony of God's justice. Because we have sinned against Him, we will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. It will be utter darkness, not able to see anything total aloneness, no one around us whatsoever, enduring the flames, being burned continuously without being consumed with that sense of falling for all of eternity because sin 
must be dealt with by a holy God, and it is in the agony of His judgment. But oh, the mercy of God who sent His Son to take our sins and that punishment for eternity, to make it possible for us to be forgiven our sins. And when that happens, is it not reasonable to offer Him a sacrifice that is costly? Now, for just a moment, I'd like to talk to those who are viewing overline. What a wonderful age we live in. I mean, really. We've been on vacation. It was so sweet to be a part of this, sort of. I recently saw some statistics of studies that was done, and I was a little shocked by it. It basically said that in the United States of America, 25% of all of the church now views online. And that, that's one quarter, by the way, see? I didn't take many math classes, but I did take some. And of that 25% that's viewing online, 43%, almost 50%, do it out of convenience. Now, I want to talk to those doing it out of convenience. I mean, we went through it, right? It's costly to get up. I won't tell you what time I got up this morning. I had to get up earlier. It's costly to sit in the car and kids going at each other and trying to get here and be in one piece. But this God who has shown such great mercy, is He not worthy of costly sacrifice? Now, I want to honor some people today. Not sure how many are here, but if you've ever been here in the daytime, the summertime, you know the Camp Kids Club is going on. And we got some wonderful people, a lot of teens, a lot of young adults, wonderful people who are making costly sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ out of love for Him and love for our neighbor kids around here who give of themselves. And I'm going to ask, if you are serving in Camp's Kid Club, would you do me a favor for at least one minute or a half minute? Would you stand for just a second, please? I know we have some. Yep. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We appreciate you, but I want you to know that God is well aware of your costly sacrifice to Him out of love. Now, in a few moments, won't be very long now, we will honor the Jabers, Matt and Ashley, who have indeed made costly sacrifice to serve their Lord and Savior and to serve this body for many, many, many years. And when that time comes, when that time comes, with all the enthusiasm that God would grant us, may we honor them for their worship of Jesus seen in their service to us. Let's pray. Oh, I forgot the big idea. Stop praying. 
How can you have a sermon without the big idea? Stop the presses! <laughs> okay, there it is. God's great mercy through Jesus should lead to costly sacrifice for him. Now I can pray. <laughs> oh, Father, to think in David's time, the justness of your judgment was stayed because of the grandeur of your mercy as you responded to David's prayer of repentance and shepherding of the people. We thank you that your mercy is limitless. We thank you that it was seen at Calvary where Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, took our sins upon himself, paid that penalty of eternal death in our place, and ultimately was raised to life eternal. We pray today for any here who have not yet trusted Jesus, have not responded to that mercy, have not received that peace with God and the peace of God, that you would draw them to yourself today. And Father, we pray for many here who have already responded to your mercy. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm wondering today, perhaps you never have made that official offering of yourself to the Lord. Romans says... For by the mercies of God, I beseech you to present your bodies, the entirety of yourself, as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. It's your reasonable worship. If you've never done that and you're willing to today, or if you were willing to renew that living sacrifice, total consecration to Him, Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just stand with me, please? Lord, I'm reconsecrating myself to you to be that living sacrifice. Now, would everyone please stand with me as we prepare to worship the Lord in song in just a minute. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we love you. We thank you so much for the wonder of your grace and of your mercy. We pray today that you will indeed use us as living sacrifices for you, we ask in your precious and holy and special name. Amen.